Have you ever jokingly said to someone, I'm going to kill you? You know, they, they shoot you with a water gun, they push you in a pool, and it's like, I'm going to kill you, right? My son Landon, as we're traveling this past uh, month in the car, and he's, he, that came flying out of his mouth. Uh, Bryn did something to him, and he goes, I'm going to kill you, you know, just kind of joking around, you know. But Bryn, kind of continuing the joke, was like, oh, Dad, we got to watch out. Landon just said he's going to kill us all, he's going to take us out. And Landon goes, just don't look at the whiteboard under my bed. We're like, what? Are you... Huh? Right? I so wasn't ready for that. I did not see that coming at all. Now, I did check. There is no whiteboard. He probably moved to the closet. No, no. But, but I don't know if you've ever been going through life and you're reading the Bible or you're in church and, and, and everything's kind of cool just like in that conversation. And then suddenly something comes out and you're like, I was not ready for that. Like that came out of left field. And so often in our lives, we begin to read the Bible. We begin to be in church. We begin to have conversations with friends about Jesus. And suddenly it's like, wait, Where'd that come from? I wasn't ready for that statement. I wasn't ready for God to to say that or have that opinion about my lifestyle or whatever it might be. And so here in this series, we're looking at those things that we kind of have upside down. Sometimes we have to realize that God has a very different way of viewing things from the way that we view things. And we get things upside down so so often. We get stuck kind of in that upside down, you know. We can sometimes become a prisoner of the upside down, doing things in almost this alternate reality. And God is here saying, wait, wait, I have a very different way than you do. And last week, I just tried to encourage you guys, when it comes to weakness, we view weakness very differently than God does, don't we? We see it as this awful thing in our life, and we're embarrassed of it, and we're ashamed. And last week, I just tried to encourage you that your weakness is this incredible opportunity for God to show up, right? That that our weakness is this beautiful void that God wants to come fill with his power. And I hope you left encouraged last week. Tonight, I want to encourage slash really challenge you tonight. Because I think another thing that we have kind of upside down and we get stuck in has to do with what we're aiming our lives at. Let me ask you that question. What are you aiming your life at here tonight? What's your life all about? Who are you living for and what are you living for? You see, this is really important for us to talk about because if we're honest, we know the truth that the world around us has a ton of things for us to aim our lives at. They're constantly dangling stuff in our face for us to aim our lives at, you know? I think one of the things that the world kind of dangles in our face is shiny stuff, you know? They tell us that if we can get our hands on the shiny stuff, it's the shiny new car, it's the beautiful home, it's the huge bank account, it's the new toy. If we can get that thing, then we will be all right. We will be actually living life. And there's nothing wrong with shiny toys, nothing wrong with a nice house and a nice car. You should get paid well for working hard and all that's great. But is that what you're living for? You know, a lot of young people in the room here training up, going to college, some of us into new jobs, some of us trying to climb some of that corporate ladder. And it's like, all right, I only have so much time in my life to give my life to anything. Am I going to spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours in pursuit of shiny stuff? Is that what my life is aimed at? The world would say, that's what you should be aiming your life at. Maybe that's upside down, right? Another thing I think the world dangles in front of us is fleeting stuff. It's the stuff that's here one minute and it's gone the next. And so the world says, okay, you know what? If, if this certain relationship will make you happy, then get into it, you know? You're into them, they're into you. Don't worry about what God says about it. Don't worry if, you know, your, your faith beliefs line up. Don't worry about if going out with this person or dating this person or marrying this person would take you down the right path or the wrong path. If there's that spark, right? The spark, we all live for the spark. If there's that emotion, if there's that sort of flame alive, then go ahead and pursue And don't worry about what God has to say about it, right? But what happens when the relationship ends? That relationship that brought everything else to life is suddenly gone. You realize it was fleeting, and the world was dangling something in your face. And now, not only do you not have the relationship, you're far from God, right? Or the acceptance, right? How far will we go to be accepted? What will we do to grab a hold of that fleeting acceptance? It's there for a minute, man. It's like we can almost sink our teeth into it for a minute. But what do we have to do to get it? What do we have to trade to be accepted? 
You know, there's a group of friends that I have growing up, and to this day, I avoid hanging out with them. Because I know that if I were to hang out with them, there is something in me still, back from my teenage years, my college years, that wants to so badly be accepted by these stupid idiots, if I'm being honest. That wasn't very loving. But (laughs) if I'm being honest, I will do stupid things to still get their approval. I will say dumb things. I will make jokes I shouldn't be making out just to get a laugh, just to feel like I belong in that group. You know, what do we do for that fleeting acceptance? The world says that's what we should aim our lives at. They dangle acceptance. They dangle things like relationship, these fleeting things in front of our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with friendship. Nothing wrong with wanting to feel accepted by people who actually love you. But is that what we're aiming our lives at? Another thing the world dangles in our faces is the empty stuff, right? They dangle empty stuff in our face all the time. And the difference between empty and fleeting is that fleeting, at least you can sink your teeth into it for a little while. But empty is always empty, isn't it? Right? The empty stuff never actually has anything you can sink your teeth into. And so I would say some of the empty things the world tries to dangle in our face are things like popularity, you know? Because as soon as you get there, as soon as you are popular, you realize this is meaningless. There is nothing here, right? I would say something else the world might dangle in our face that's empty is the one-night stand. Hey, man, go do what you want. Go have fun. No commitments. Nobody has to know about it. But that stuff will gnaw at your soul, right? It's the stuff. It's the images on the screen that we look at that we know God doesn't want us looking at. And as we're kind of duped into that, we see how empty it is. Like the moment we hit click off and try to get in bed to go to sleep, we recognize how empty that was. It's the unforgiveness in our heart. And we're going to hang on to that unforgiveness because, man, one day we're going to prove to that person they were wrong and they will see how wrong they were. And how often has that happened in your life? Never. (laughs) And even if you could, it wouldn't undo the hurt that they put in your heart in the first place. Empty stuff. The world kind of dangles in front of you and I. Another one I think is comfort, right? This is big, right? We all want to be comfortable. Who doesn't want to be comfortable? Who doesn't want a life without issues and without problems and without hardship? We all want those types of of lives, you know, but can I tell you something tonight? No one was ever inspired by anybody who lived a comfortable life, right? I, I recently read a story about a lady, police officer, who saw someone jump from a bridge, and then she jumped from the bridge to try to help the person who had jumped, right? Inspiring. That's incredible, but I can guarantee you, I didn't see any kind of news reports after any kind of interviews, but I can guarantee you this, it didn't go like this. You know, the, the reporter says, so, ma'am, uh, what made you jump off the bridge? Like, what, what is that driving force? What is your lifestyle like that, it, that makes such a tremendous, brave soul do something like that? A lot of Netflix. I mean, I just, I, I, I watch a ton of Netflix. I, I nap a good bit, um, you know. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching some Netflix and taking a nap. But, it, like, if that is your life's goal is that comfort, then, man, what are we aiming our lives at. So this is so important for you and I to talk about because here's the deal, guys. Especially, I love that this service has a lot of young people in it. We only get one shot at life, my friends. We get one shot. And there is grace when we fall short, yes. And there's forgiveness, but we don't get do-overs. You don't get a day back. So we just got back from the college retreat. I had a blast. I cannot wait until next year. Maybe we'll do like a like a half-year one, and then a full-year one, and it'd just be great. We'll do everyone every month. Let's just go. But it was so much fun, and we had such a blast. But I, here, here's a little story, and Colleen said it. It was funny. When I first got there, she said, Doug, somehow we're going to get you an illustration for one of your sermons. And within a minute of being there, I got one. It was great. And so here's what happens. I get there yesterday. No, no, I got there Friday. And some of them say, oh, we got up early to watch the sunrise. Now, let me paint the picture for you, okay? We are on this incredible mountainside 
mountains everywhere. It's gorgeous. We're on 35 acres. There's two lakes on the property. There's this huge, incredible uh, porch. And it's not a porch. We argued about this. It's not a porch. What is it called? Balcony. Balcony. Thank you. We're on this incredible balcony looking out at the mountains. And I said, wow, you guys got up early to see the sunrise? They're like, yeah. Like, how was it? They're like, we don't really know. I was like, what are you talking about you don't know? They got up at 545. They had outside. They have blankets on. They're all cold in the morning. They're on the porch slash balcony waiting for the sunrise to come over the mountains. And they realize they're facing the wrong direction. (laughs) The sunrise was behind them the whole stinking time. And in that moment, you know, they can't just be like, God, if you could just kind of rewind this whole scenario and give us the last half hour back so that we could face the right direction, that would be great. And you know what, guys? In our lives, the sun rises and the day comes, the sun sets. Are we facing the right direction? See, this is so important for you and me. What is your life aimed at? Who are you living for? What are you living for? If you're not a follower of Jesus, these are really important questions for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, my guess is, even though you might enjoy sort of some of the things you're doing and some of the ways you're going, and you might look at God and say, yeah, I don't know if I would enjoy his way, I think there's something in you that wants more than what you currently have. I think there's something in you that's hoping there's something bigger than what you're living for right now. The shiny stuff, the fleeting stuff, the empty stuff, the comfort. I think you want more than that. And so tonight we're going to talk about how to aim our lives. And we're going to look at some powerful things that Jesus had to say about this. And and before we get there, Jesus had been spending some time with his followers. And they had some really important conversations. They talked about Jesus being the son of God. They talked about him being the savior of the world. And how he had come to make a whole new way forward. How he had come to do something no one else had done. And the disciples are kind of sitting there drooling and like not quite getting it. And they're like, well, are you like a political leader that's going to come save and rescue us from Rome? And and no, no, that's not why I'm here. And they're having this big conversation. But then Jesus helps them understand what his life is aimed at. And this is what he says. And they kind of miss it. In verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. We've got to go a little bit easy on the disciples because the truth is they're all excited about the fact Jesus has been healing people. He's been raising people back from the dead. He's been setting people free from demonic oppression. He's been doing all these great things. People are like following him everywhere. And suddenly he says, guys, I've got to tell you something, man. I, I'm about to suffer horrifically. And they're going to place me on a cross and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be placed in the ground but I'm going to rise back from the third day. And it's like they never hear that part about the rising back on the third day. It's like all they hear is suffering and death. And Peter, just like I would have done, starts going, whoa, 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 whoa. No, guys, no, no, no. This isn't going to happen, Jesus. Like, you're the man. Everybody loves you. you you're, you've come to do powerful things. You have so much power in you. And he, and he gets all in Jesus' face here. In fact, he, he says this in, in verse 22. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He says, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus on the other side of that going, wait a minute, Peter. My life is aimed at something. I know why I'm here. And in a minute, Peter, I'm going to tell you why you're here too. I'm going to tell you where your life should be aimed as well. But Jesus comes back strong at Peter. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Get behind me, Satan. 
That's what I say when I pass a Carvel. <laughs> like, get behind me, fudgy, spawn of Satan. You know, it's, it's all there, right there, right? But here is Jesus. Why did he come on so strong here? Because he knows what his life is aimed at, and he knows Peter is in the way of that, and really the enemy is using Peter. So Jesus is going, I'm here to save the world. I'm here to rescue mankind. I'm here to suffer and die. That's why I'm here. That's what my life is aimed at, Peter. And so get out of my way. And Satan, stop trying to divert me from what God has. And guys, if I could just preface what, what we're going to see here in a minute about aiming our lives. Sometimes you and I, forget sometimes, all the time, you and I have to get to the point where we look at all the dangly garbage the world puts in our face and say, get, it, get behind me. I'm not falling for you, dangly garbage. I'm not falling for you, shiny, empty, fleeting, comfortable I'm not falling for it. My life is aimed at something, and I'm going to live that out. Look at what's next. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So now Jesus gives them something to aim at, and this is what he encourages you and I to do. This is the challenge here tonight. And you and I look at that on the screen, and we're like, wait a minute. Deny myself? Take up my cross? Follow? Well, what's all that about? Doug, you've been preaching to me. I've been coming here for a while. You've been preaching to me every week that salvation is a gift, that I don't have to earn anything from Jesus. Why do I have to deny myself now? Why do I have to take up a cross? Didn't Jesus get on the cross so I wouldn't have to? Like, what's this all about? Well, let me just give you a little bit of peace here. We're not talking today about trying to earn anything from God. We're not trying to talk about denying ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves. That's called asceticism. That's common in Buddhism. Some other religions, they deny themselves things to look more spiritual or feel more spiritual or to become more good. We're not shooting at that here, guys. Jesus has something so much bigger in mind. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the story of Jesus is that he died on the cross and rose again so you could have a free gift of salvation. And so when I talk about denying ourselves, I'm not saying, hey, let's deny ourselves, then God will want us. No, see, God has something so much better for you and me. In mind. Here's what God is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus calls us to deny things that are deadly to our soul. That's what he is saying. He's not saying deny yourself so that you'll work your way to me. He's saying deny yourself so you won't die eternally. Deny yourself the things that would come between me and you. Deny yourself shiny and, and, and fleeting and empty and comfortable if it's going to get in the way of you following me with all of your heart. And now some of us sit back and go, but Doug, I kind of like some of that shiny stuff. I kind of like some of that empty stuff. What do I do? How do I view this differently? Well, look at this. Jesus invites us to deny ourselves what's worse for what's better. See, that's the trade that's going on here. Jesus isn't trying to get you to deny yourself for the sake of it. He's not trying to get you to deny yourself because he wants to rob your fun. He wants you to deny yourself what's worse for what's better, which is him. Deny yourself the porn, for him. Deny yourself the acceptance and all that we'll you know, try to do and be willing to stoop to to get it. For him. Deny yourself maybe the bigger bank account so we can follow him, right? And so he just wants us to deny what's worse for what's better. We do this all the time, by the way. You know, it's 6.30. Your mom's like, yo. Your wife's like, yo, we're having dinner at 7. And you're sitting there, there's a bag of Cheetos, and you're like, but you know chicken parm's coming? You're like, I'm going to deny myself what's worse for what's better. I don't know about you guys. I'm like Mr. Anti-Movie Trailer Guy. And the reason I do it is because I love movies so much that I want to sit in the theater and watch the movie without knowing anything about it. I don't want any spoilers. Like my kids will turn it on. I'm like, shut it down or you're grounded. Like I'm a psycho about it, all right? 
not really that bad, but there I am, denying myself, eh, trailer's weak, it's a, what, minute and a half, movie's two, two and a half, three hours, what's worse for what's better, right? Some of you guys, if you're wise, right, you've denied yourself country music in the Coliseum because some real musicians are playing at the Garden the same night, right? It's this whole deny yourself what's worse for what's better. It's very, very simple. But this is the call of Jesus in our lives. I got death threats after the morning services after that one too. But you know what? This is the call of God for you and me. And so if I could just encourage you guys in some ways, if I could challenge you guys in some ways, ready? Don't choose what's shiny over what satisfies. Don't choose those shiny things. Guys, do you realize cats are distracted by shiny stuff? (laughs) Right? Don't choose what's shiny over what actually satisfies. Don't make your life about the car, the house, the toy. I mean, it's okay to have some of that stuff, sure. But don't make your life about it. I actually recently heard a comedian joke about the fact he actually likes driving a beat-up car because if he gets into an altercation with someone and they threaten to key his car, he just keys it himself and laughs, right? (laughs) And so when you have, you know, it kind of works, right? But the thing about the shiny stuff is, guys, if, if, we're, if we really start to look into it, is all it does is distract us, you know? Like, have you ever gone through something in life? I mean, I'll be honest. There's times I've had fear in my life. I've had some anxiety in my heart, some stress in my life. So I've went for the shiny thing to just kind of distract me. But then eventually the distraction wears off and the fear's still there, the anxiety's still there. And Jesus says, how about you actually come to me and I'll deal with the fear and I'll deal, deal with the anxiety not just distract you from it. So don't choose what's shiny over what satisfies. Don't choose what's fleeting over what's forever. Isn't this another one of our struggles, right? Grasp that thing. Grasp that relationship that's fleeting. Grasp that acceptance that's fleeting. And we choose that over what's forever. What, a, what an interesting lens. What if we all started thinking that way? What if we all started to say, you know what? On the one hand, I could choose what's fleeting. On the other hand, I could choose what's forever. In other words, when I stand before God, this will still matter, right? What if we started to make every decision like that? Fleeting or forever? Fleeting or forever? Here and now, gone in a second, will be there when I stand before my Savior in 10,000 years. Whew, that's an interesting way to start to make some decisions. Don't choose what's fleeting over what's forever. Don't choose what's empty over what's eternal. Again, similar to the last one, but a little different, right? Fleeting, at least you have your hands on it for a minute. Empty is always empty. And so this is you and I saying, all right, I'm not going to choose the porn over what's eternal. I'm not going to choose the one night stand over what's eternal. I'm not going to choose the anger and the unforgiveness and putting that person in their place because it doesn't even work anyway. It's empty for eternal. Not going to fall for that. Going to instead recognize that Jesus offers something so different. I'm going to choose what I can really, truly sink my teeth into. Don't choose comfort over Christ. Don't choose comfort over Christ. Guys, this is the great challenge of our generation. Choosing comfort. Choosing what's easy. I mean, we have everything handed to us. Right in our phone, right in our pocket, right on the TV, right in the microwave, right in the, it just, it's comfort, right on the credit card, get what I want, get what I want, I'll pay it off for the next 14 years. I think something really embarrassing. So years ago, Kelly and I, redid part of our kitchen in our, our first house that we owned. And we just got some cabinets fixed up and this and that, and we put it on a credit card, and we're still paying for it like 13 years later. Because everything's just about little swipe, 
right? A, li- a little, little click, a little, it's just so comfortable. And sometimes that comfort gets in the way of Christ, gets in the way of us aiming our lives at all that he has for you and for me. And I just want to remind you what Jesus said. He said, take up your cross and follow me. A cross is not comfortable. A cross is painful sometimes. A cross is heavy. A cross, a cross is hard. I think about Jesus after having been whipped and beaten, him carrying that wooden cross, rubbing up against his bloody and beaten back. And you know what? I'm so glad that he didn't stop because it was uncomfortable. I'm so glad he continued on and he did what really mattered to rescue you and to rescue me. And you know what? Sometimes it's painful or at the very most difficult to choose Jesus over the one night stand, over the pornography, over the acceptance or the popularity. But that pain is worth it. Jesus would look at you and me today and he would say, the pain I endured when I carried my cross was worth it because I got you. And you and I today, you ready for this? Get to say, the pain I endure when I carry my cross, Jesus, is worth it because I have you. And so what cross maybe do you need to carry? What burden do you need to endure? Again, this is not to earn anything from Jesus. This is all about denying our souls what is deadly. Denying our souls those things that are out to destroy. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This verse is the perfect example of this upside-down thinking, right? Jesus helps us see something. We all know this is true, right? If we've been following Jesus for a while, we, we know this is 100% true, that when we grasp at life, when we grasp at trying to fill our lives with those things dangled in our face by the world around us, that we end up losing our lives. And I think this plays out a few different ways. We, we lose our life here and now, don't we? And how do I know that? How do you know that? Because we, we have social media and we have TVs, and we see all of the people who have saved their lives, all those incredible celebrities, all those incredible movie stars and musicians and athletes who have saved their lives, who are overdosing on drugs, trying to numb out pain, who are killing themselves. How many more celebrity heartbreak, death, suicides do we need before we wake up and go, maybe saving our lives means we'll lose it. And if that weren't enough, we lose our lives eternally, don't we? But Jesus doesn't just say that. He also says, if you lose your life, then you will save it. Then you will find it. And we know this is true, don't we? When we, instead of of grasping at all that stuff that the world dangles in our face, when instead we say, all right, God, I'm going to surrender all of it to you, not just the stuff I'm tempted, but but you have everything. And this is really, I think, really important for us here tonight because I know a lot of you guys are followers of Jesus. And and here's what I think a lot of us do. We go, you know what? I'm like 75% aimed in the right direction. But can I ask you a question? If I aimed you 75% in the right direction to get home to your house tonight, would you get there? Even 99%, right? And so my question for you and me tonight, and I'm preaching at my own heart, is are we 100% aimed in the right direction? What's that 1%? What's that 10%? What's that 25% that we're kind of just a little bit off to the side on? Now, this is a little part for me, right? This little fleeting, this little empty, this little shiny, this little comfort, this I'm just going to cling on to here tonight. Jesus says, if you cling to that, though, you lose your life. But when you surrender all of it, not 99%, not 75%, not 50%, but when you come to me and you surrender it all, you will find life. And we find it here. We find some of it here, don't we? 
we find that God begins to put our hearts back together. He begins to put some pieces of our lives back together. But we also find that we find life in eternity. And one of my favorite parts of the college retreat this past weekend was talking about some of the stuff that's in our way. And you guys didn't realize, but I actually videoed it. And we're going to show, I'm just kidding. But one, they're all like, I buried my soul, right? One of the topics that came up was how painful life is sometimes. The crosses we bear the difficulties that we endure. And one of the things we celebrated together was that we're not really supposed to feel at home here. There's a part of us that's supposed to be longing for eternity, be longing for heaven, be longing for what we will one day have because Jesus has rescued us here and now. And we've denied ourselves and we've taken up our cross. And instead of trying to save our lives here and now, we've been willing to lose them. You see, that that right there. When you figure out how to lose your life for God's sake, and I'm not talking about literally dying here and now or anything like that, but when you and I figure out how to lose our grip on this life and give it to God, man, you want to talk about making a difference in the world? You want to talk about aiming your life at something that matters? You want to talk about those things that God can use and will last for eternity? Whole different ballgame. We find our lives here and now, but we find our lives in eternity. And can I just ask you a question? When we were all running our lives, was it really all that great anyway? Was it really all that great? Like, so two, two like major periods in my life where I did things very much my way were high school and college. And do you know that 90% of the regrets that I carry to this day are from high school and college? Because I was running the ship, man. I was steering it all. But when more and more you and I begin to surrender our lives, we say, God, you steer the ship. You take over. You drive. It's all you, Lord suddenly we begin to find ourselves on a very different course. And I'm not one of those pastors. We're not one of those churches that's going to get up here and tell you that everything becomes perfect. You never have a bad day anymore. Man, life still stinks sometimes, guys. But we have eternity to look forward to. And we have a God who walks with, it, with us through it here and now. And you know what? Not every Christian marriage is perfect, and that's okay. We're all in process. But I have never seen marriages like I've seen in some Christian marriages. Like, just, I don't find it anywhere else. People aren't perfect, and we all go through our stuff, but I've never seen people walk in consistent peace like some of the Christians that I know. Because when we lose our lives, we find it. The joy, the peace, the hope, and real acceptance. Isn't that incredible? Actual acceptance. Not acceptance that is here today. Not acceptance that is gone tomorrow. Not acceptance that is conditional on whether you act like this other stupid group and all the things that they think are important, and you think like they do, and you talk like they do, and you push God out. No actual acceptance by your Heavenly Father. I spoke with somebody after the morning service today. Big dude. Wouldn't fight this dude. And I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he instantly starts getting tears in his eyes. I was like, what's up, man? And this big dude, probably in his mid to late 20s, said, I've been getting really beat up by the guys at work, man. I've been getting bullied. I've been getting, I'm thinking to myself, dude, you could kill with your bare hands like David killed all of those animals and Goliath. <laughs> seriously? Tears rolling down his face. And I said, bro, it is so hard when we go through something like that and we don't feel accepted. And we begin to just talk and pray about the acceptance of God over his life. And God accepts him for who he is. And God loves him. And no one can steal that kind of acceptance. You know, it's so stupid that you and I chase this dumb, fleeting acceptance when we have the acceptance of God already given to us. And so Jesus is just really calling us out here, and then he ends with this, and this is where we're going to stop with the verses tonight. In verse 26, he says, when, 
What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What a brilliant line of questioning. Basically, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is there is nothing more important than your soul. There is nothing more important than your soul. You can chase everything else. You can go after everything else. There's nothing more important than your soul. And so we start to ask ourselves some questions. If we could enjoy all the comforts in the world, but we couldn't have Jesus, is it worth it? No. If we could live out every sexual fantasy anybody ever came up with, but we couldn't have Jesus, is it worth it? No. If we could have all the money and all the fame and all the popularity and all the acceptance by the world's standards, but we couldn't have Jesus, is it worth it? And Jesus is trying to get us to get around this point. No, no, no. It's never worth it. You can't give anything in exchange for your soul. So, I think what Jesus is trying to say through all these verses, I think... Jesus aiming his life at the the will of his Father and and, and then looking at his disciples and looking at you and me tonight. What he's hoping you and I will understand is this challenge. Deny yourself what's deadly. Deny your soul what's deadly and enjoy true life in Christ. I think that's what sums up these verses. Deny your soul what's deadly. All those horrible things that are going to just drive that wedge between you and God. They're going to make you miserable. That are going to drive you crazy. That are going to cause all kinds of pain and regret. Deny your soul. All of that. All of what's worse so you can enjoy what's better. True life in Christ. And so the question you ask yourself and the question I ask myself is this. What do I need to deny my soul? What shiny thing? Do I maybe need to deny my soul because it's been coming between me and God? What fleeting thing? What empty thing? What comfort? Do I need to deny myself because it's in the way of me and Jesus? And if it's in the way of me and Jesus, it's got to go. What is that thing for you? What is that thing for me? It's time to have some raw conversations with God. It's time to have it out with Jesus and say, God, here are the things that I have allowed into my life and it's really hard and it's a huge deal, but God, I want you more. I want you more. I want you more. So what is that for you? C.S. Lewis said this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit. I love this. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And this is what Jesus was aiming at. Not 75%, not 99%, 100% aimed what Jesus has for me. Maybe we won't live in the perfect house and have the shiniest car, but we'll know Jesus. Maybe we won't have the relationship with the dream girl or guy, but we'll have closeness with our Savior. Maybe we won't have the acceptance or the popularity, but we'll have the peace and the joy of knowing we're walking in integrity in God's ways. Maybe we won't have all the comforts in the world, but we will be comforted by the one who made the world. Sometimes following Jesus is really hard but it's always, always worth it. Albert Pujols is a baseball player, 10-time All-Star, won the World Series twice. And rich, famous dude, but loves Jesus. And he could so easily lean back and just grab any one of those things dangled in his face. He could choose all the shiny stuff. The dude got one of the biggest contracts ever in his last contract. Got paid so much money. And I'm sure he's enjoyed some nice stuff in his life. 
But instead of just sitting back and taking, 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 he's poured in the kids with Down syndrome and he's poured into the poor of the Dominican Republic. I'm sure he could go after all the stuff that's fleeting, you know. He's, he's gotten all these awards and he's been made a big deal of, but instead of making a big deal for himself, he's making a big deal of his Savior. I'm sure he could go after what's empty. I have a friend whose nephew is a minor league baseball player. And he said that after the baseball games, when these guys tour around the country and play in the different stadiums, outside the hotel are a, a group of women that are there to be with any of the guys on the team that feel like having them. And if that temptation is there on the minor league level, I can only imagine what it's like at the major league level for a guy like this. But instead of going after empty, going after the things that will nod his soul, he's pushed that aside. Instead of going after what's comfortable, he's decided to live a different way. And this is what he said. He says, it would be easy to go out and do whatever I want, but those things only satisfy the flesh for a moment. Jesus satisfies my soul forever. And this is a man who has learned what we're talking about tonight. This is a man who has 100% aimed his life at his Savior, and he's been willing to lose his life to gain it. And you know what I love what's going on right now in our world? I won't mention any names, but there are top-level athletes, top-level musicians, top-level actors and actresses putting their trust in Jesus. And it is so much fun to watch because you see all these people who were trying to save their lives, but they realized they were losing it. Now going, I will lose my life to truly find it. And it is so exciting to see God at work like that. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I hope that what I've talked about is attracting you. Even though we've talked about some hardship, we've talked about picking up a cross and following Jesus, I hope the salvation that he offers you is drawing you in, and I hope the satisfaction that he's offering is drawing you in. And if you want to put your trust in him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin a conversation with him in just one minute. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, ask that question tonight. What do I need to deny my soul? What thing that's worse can I trade for what's better? What shiny, fleeting, empty comfort have I settled for when Jesus offers me life and peace and eternity? And so I hope tonight... You're encouraged and you're challenged. Deny your soul what's deadly and find true life in Christ. Let's pray. So Lord God, we come to you and we accept that challenge. If I could kind of speak for the room here, I would say we accept that challenge to deny ourselves what's deadly, to deny our soul what wants to gnaw it away so we can actually have peace and joy and life in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you ask yourself that question right now? What do I need to deny my soul? What's in the way? What shiny, empty, fleeting comfort have I settled for? And maybe ask a second question. Am I 100% aimed at Jesus? Or am I 99, 90, 75, 50, 25? Or am I 100% aimed at him? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in him. And it begins with a conversation like this. Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for coming to offer me what is real, what I can sink my teeth into, what will last, what will endure. And Jesus, I want that. And I ask you to forgive me now for my sin and all the ways I've tried to do things my own way. And God, I I surrender to you. I lose my life to find it. Show me what that looks like. Help me to follow you. And by your strength, I want to aim my life in your name.